Hi, y'all, and welcome back to Peachy Keen. I'm Vivian Liddell, and this is my podcast. In each episode, I talk to women of all sorts about life and art in the South. This episode and the next were both taped at the 2019 annual CCAT conference in Chattanooga, Tennessee. That's S-E-C-A-C. CCAC used to stand for Southeastern College Art Conference, but now it's more of a national thing, so it's just referred to as CCAC. And I'm reading this right from their website. CCAC is a nonprofit organization that promotes the study and practice of the visual arts in higher education. So once a year, they have a conference, and artists, art educators, and arts professionals from all over the country get together to talk shop. This year, the conference was hosted by the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga with Katie Hargrave and Christina Vogel, both former guests on the podcast and UT professors being co-directors of the conference. So, of course, I had to go check it out. This was my first time ever attending, and it was pretty awesome, but also a little bit overwhelming. So, for those of you who are not familiar with academic conferences... The bulk of what happens is people are presenting on sessions or panels. There'll be a topic and then maybe three to five folks presenting papers or presentations about that topic. And there were many sessions going on at once. So for me, there was a lot of hard choices that had to be made because there was almost always at least two topics that I was interested in happening at the same time. I arrived on a Wednesday night and did a presentation about my own teaching practice at 8 a.m. on Thursday morning as part of a session called Catalyst for Change Community Partnerships, along with four other artist professors. That was the very first session, time slot, of the conference. And right afterward, at 10 a.m., I sat in on a session called Limits on Content, How Far Can Students Go in the Studio Art Classroom, where one of the panelists was today's podcast guest, Naomi Falk. Naomi is an artist working in a range of media, 2D, 3D, including photography and performance, and she is also an assistant professor of 3D studies and sculpture at the University of South Carolina in Columbia. I was super excited to talk to her. The panel that she was on was about a topic that I thought was really ripe for discussion. Let's see what the description said in the CCAC program. Uh, Here we go. In the era of political correctness and institutional paranoia, the studio art classroom can be perceived as a potential threat to a university's well-being. How do we as educators stretch the students and embrace the idea of pushing the envelope when the risks are so high? Yep. So that was a pretty interesting panel. And that's where we were starting with this episode meeting on our one-hour lunch break after both of us had just presented in sessions all morning long. We were sitting in a small conference room at the Chattanoogan Hotel, where the conference took place, with just the two of us seated off to the side of a big, circular, heavy, lacquered wooden table, the kind of room where you might expect to find CEOs making big money decisions, but nope, it was just us artists. I hope you all enjoy episode 29 with artist Naomi Falk of Columbia, South Carolina, talking with me about her life, art, and teaching practice during CCAC 2019. Check it out. All right, so Naomi, 
just did a panel. So what was the name of your panel again? Content limits on limits content. Limits on content, and I don't remember the rest of it. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, a, Michael. That's all right. I'll look it up and put it in our links at the end. Um, so you were saying you prepared like an hour, an hour's worth of stuff and whittled it down to 15 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I tend to work backwards like that, I think. Like I, I get too much stuff and then have to spend a lot of time taking things away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I did too. I also left off like a quarter of my presentation when I just did mine this morning. I just skimmed through it. Yeah. Because I had to, but you know, that's what we're doing here. We're like a, it's a, like a, it's like speed dating, right? For professors. Yes. Um, <clears throat> so, it's you're not the everything show. No. <laughs> yeah, we can't get it all in there. Um, so you were talking about basically projects that you do with students, and kind of opening them up with questions. So the whole the whole point of the panel was, um, I guess limits on content so like are there limits on content becomes the question and uh you know students where are the limits on content? where are the limits and there was a lot of talk about this new generation of students coming in with a lot of anxiety and fear Mm -hmm. and how do you kind of quell that and make it into deeper conversations yeah which is kind of the the point of yours you mentioned um this list of questions at the end of yours that you came up with and with other professors is that a book mm-hmm. that you were working from no um the wake up questions the, the original a, a few years ago modern love from the new york times had had this really popular um story i think it might have been a podcast too that was the 36 questions to make someone fall in love with you or something like okay. that and and I had read that, and then at ITI last summer, two years ago, whenever it was, the group of us got together, and, and I was kind of playing around with that and how it related, because our, our panel was, or our, I talked a lot, and now I'm I all know. tongue-tied. It's, it's rough, man. <laughs> I feel you. It's been a long morning. <sighs> So we, we, the workshop I was a part of was art and activism and, and the place that it has in teaching. Right. And so we were talking about, like, how do you get students to be empathic and to think about things, like, to think about things? <laughs> and so we started playing, riffing off of th- those 36 questions and coming up with, Okay. These other ones. So they were, how do you get people to fall in love with you? And instead, you've changed them into like deep thinking for yeah. artists. I, and and that's sort of a cheesy starting point. And we haven't that that whole list and all of that that as a as an exemplar for you know a a thing hasn't been published. Mm. But um, and do I, you give those to students like at the beginning of the class? Sometimes okay. I do various. Um, permutations of of that as both in like a welcome survey and and but oftentimes a, a few of them as a preemptive thing for uh, projects so like like I was kind of talking a little bit about the flag thing yeah and, um, <clears throat> so like dealing with really controversial subject matter like flag and you had a 
an incident with a student thinking that you were telling her to burn a flag in class. Um, And I thought it was interesting you brought up cultural appropriation and the um, samurai sword that one of your students made. I've recently had a a similar thing with a student um, making a dream catcher in one of my classes. Mm -hmm. So we kind of got into that conversation. So you're you're teaching in South Carolina Mm -hmm. at the University of South Carolina. Mm -hmm. Um, One of my former students from like last year is there in the grad program are you teaching in graduate school um if it is it within the art Mm -hmm. area yeah Mm -hmm. I would know them but we're we're not that big Lauren Ashley Kennedy okay you know her yep she was my student last year Mm -hmm. um so anyway I don't know if I should cut that out is that like violating (laughs) privacy is that a FERPA violation I don't know I mean the (laughs) good question the our grad students for whatever reason are not listed on our website Huh. I don't know what that's about. I don't know. I have to check in. I might have to beep her name out of there. That's fine. Um, but, yeah, I was curious about that. Tell her I said hi. I will. She was a good student. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, talking about the cultural appropriation, you know, so I'm teaching in North Georgia um, in a very conservative 7,000 people mm-hmm. in the town that we're in. And then you're at, but you're at a large, this is a research-based institution, yeah, University is, of South we're, Carolina. We're the flagship University of South Carolina, and it's, you know, in the capital city. You know, it's still a relatively small city, mm-hmm. but um, it's a, it's the university and, and you know, the government is, right. are the two big <laughs> things in town. <laughs> but it sounds like you're still encountering a lot of students who are coming in with a lot of fear and, like, yeah. um, really not open lines of thinking about what art could be, but kind of you're trying to kind of open those lines up. I was noticing on your Instagram page, you were talking about uh, one of your first projects, asking students to name sculptors that Mm -hmm. they knew. And they had said uh, Michelangelo's David. Yeah. And then you had countered with the Cassils. Is that who you say their name? Mm -hmm, Um, This performance piece. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I actually almost put that piece in my talk today, but it, I'm also chairing a session on Saturday, so, and that one's about revisionist history and revision, revising curriculum, uh-huh. so that fits nicely. You're going to talk too. about it in that yeah. one. Yeah, that's a really, I had never, I was not familiar with that artist and had not seen that piece until mm-hmm. I saw your Instagram page. Um, what a really powerful work. Yeah. Um, so how did your students re- – that's a – they – Cassiels are gender nonconforming trans masculine, mm-hmm. um, and they're not completely nude in that performance, but pretty close to nude. Pretty close, yeah. And very sculpted classical figure. Super, yeah, super buff. Like Michelangelo. Yeah. But unlike Michelangelo, kind of angrily throwing clay was the piece that I saw, right? Or what is it – they're it was, like – so they had made basically an obelisk form out of raw clay, wet clay, and then the performance was, as as viewers were sitting there, um, it was a completely dark room, and then a photographer with a flash was was photographing the performance, and so the only thing that the the viewers saw were just these really quick flashes of, you know. Cassiel's um, punching the obelisk form until it was beat to a pulp, <laughs> basically. 
And so what did your students think about that when you showed them that piece? Well, I, I gave them just a little bit of, of intro, but they all had, were wide-eyed and silent for the most part. <laughs> I, Cause it, I really did like, I came in the second day of class and was like, second day, second image. <laughs> this is it. After you read their little surveys and and they've mentioned Michelangelo as yeah, because seriously, it was over ninety percent of my students had listed as as a sculptor or sculpture Michelangelo's David and you know that and I told them all I was like that is totally legitimate, but that was also from fifteen oh one. And so, what level class is this? This the, I did it for both because I asked those questions of my beginning sculpture class, which is a 200 level class, as well as my 3D foundations class. So, okay. And and many of them um, are not, you know, art students either. So. Yeah. So I love that you're challenging them to think about contemporary art and kind of trying to, yeah. pr- you know, that's a really big gap from yeah. the 1500s yeah. to now. Um, so yeah, I, I find it easier sometimes to start with the present and work backwards mm-hmm. than the other way around because like I know when I was in college, we never got past like the Renaissance. Right. And then you end up graduating these students who have no knowledge yeah. of contemporary art. Yeah. Well, and, and I've really been pushing, you know, because I know how I went through school and the art historical and, and contemporary art world back then. Oh, and that sounds back then um i'm not that old but but, i I think you're a little bit younger than me (laughs) if that makes you feel any better but i'm judging by your undergraduate uh graduation date of 1996 yeah i was 1993 Uh aha yeah we're close yeah but but i think that that uh i want to both broaden my own knowledge and understanding and background of what's happening happening um now and also like the variety and diversity and being more inclusive and like and and I want to I want to know that stuff and like it's fascinating like people are doing such cool things and I want and my students don't know about them right and so bringing that into the classroom is really important yeah I teach feminist theory and and criticism and contemporary art Mm -hmm. mainly because I wasn't taught that information and I want to know it. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I've had to kind of like teach myself, but my students don't know it either. So I'm oftentimes learning along with them, which is fun. Yeah. Um, but it is interesting because that panel that you were just on there, uh, one of the questions, the people asking questions are saying that her students at, at the community college always assume that you're this superhuman genius right. expert artist. Yeah. Um, but that's rarely the case. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm pretty, and I tell my students too all the time that I'm pretty experimental with how I'm teaching and the things that, that we're going to do. And there's anxiety around that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but I think once we get into kind of a rhythm of the semester, hopefully everyone makes it out alive and and had some fun and learned some stuff and knows how that you know they know how to use some tools yeah I saw that you did a couple of collaborative projects with your classes which I'm really interested in doing as well Mm -hmm. um like you had a big piece that was 
plywood and fabric kind of mm-hmm. similar to your own current work that you've been doing yeah cringe a little yeah but yeah I have that issue too yeah uh, and that was that was accident that was kind of accidental I actually I didn't a- I need to ask them if they looked at my stuff <laughs> or not because they did that piece before I, I did like a sort of small section of a larger installation and then after I did mine and then looked at theirs again I was like oh my gosh there's so many similarities and so I yeah you don't know it's a battle (laughs) because I well because because I don't want students to make my work right (laughs) and and I mean we can have the same interests but my goal is not to have everyone look like me right but that piece was very similar and it happens sometimes I have that happen a lot of times because you teach what you know yeah and then your students end up going down similar avenues that you're going down um I guess we might as well go ahead and talk about that piece we're kind of uh already onto it so (laughs) your current work that you're doing from what I've seen you're doing some dyeing with indigo baths Mm -hmm. um which I was very interested in. So I saw you went to Aramont um, and did the Pentaculum, like, 2016? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Was somewhere in there. <laughs> yeah. that's I wrote down. I wrote it down. Oh, yeah. I think so it was 2016. Yeah. And then I actually just did the Pentaculum. Excellent. Um, this past spring, and I had never been to Aramont, and I was uh, sent there as a textiles artist, and I consider myself a painter. So that was kind of a... Mm-hmm. a interesting situation for me but uh i was lucky enough to just kind of sneak in on somebody else's indigo uh Uh bath because that's kind of a complicated process Mm -hmm. so how did you get into dying with (laughs) indigo and what does that mean for you and your work well i think i've been interested in fibers based stuff for much of my life and but strangely i didn't I don't have tons of experience with it. Like I'm not mm. necessarily formally trained in textiles related things really. And anyway, so I moved to South Carolina and I found out that it was historically a place where indigo had been cultivated and so and that there were people doing it and that there was an indigo plant that was native to South Carolina or something similar like that um, along the coast and had been found again like they thought that it was no longer in existence and now it's still here and so they're cultivating it on a small scale again but there's a long history of of uh, textile industry and um, you know indigo production in the region and so I thought that I would start, you know, learning more about that. And it's just fun to learn new things and make stuff with it. It's a little different from how I normally work. Um, although, I don't know what to say about that right now. But <laughs> as far as, like, I, I, I'm learning this process and then I'm trying to figure out where it fits. In, right. Like, conceptually within the the work in the sculpture in the installation or performance or whatever this is going to be and a lot of times I will direct the materials 
um, around the concept. And so it's it's been a little back and forth. Okay. Well, let's go backwards a little bit then. Um, so I usually start off, at, tell me about your childhood. You're not a Southerner. <laughs> no, I'm not. I grew up mostly in Michigan. Okay. And um, I spent uh, a, a year and a half, actually, in Tennessee, where not, I don't know, it's not super close to here, but in a very small town. And, and I had a difficult year and a half there and we moved during Christmas break back to Michigan okay and um, that was also an event you had a difficult year and a half like in school or adjusting to was it a cultural shock yeah it was both like I was I was a really shy 11 and 12 year old kid yeah like 12 and um, I got picked on Mm -hmm. and that I was a northerner Mm-hmm. And so, you know, like one of the the things that I remember about that time was was trying like going in the lunch line and then you we ate with our grades with our classes or whatever with our grades and not knowing where to sit. Right. And all of the the girls like the the guys were all like mixed up, you know, racially, ethnically, whatever, like everybody was all just a jumble and then there was a girls table that was all white girls and then there was a girls table of all african-american girls and i would stand there and not (laughs) know what to do because the white girls would actually shift around and not let me sit down Mm. and then the african-american girls would be like hey naomi come over and hang out with us and so that was kind of where i fit in better Mm. I guess and and it was so I had some sense of community but it was it was rough Mm -hmm. and you know kind of yeah it was it was rough and then um so what were your parents doing that were making you go back and forth between Tennessee and Michigan oh my my stepdad worked in the auto industry and he had gotten transferred to a factory in down here in Tennessee okay and um then I think there were other there were other um things partially culturally I don't know I don't know like I was 12 I don't know what the family was going through but so we just ended up leaving and going back to close to where we had been Mm -hmm. um, in Michigan in the Detroit area and so do you have any artists in your family was how was the how did that come about yeah so my dad has had he got his master's um, in ceramics and sculpture from Central Michigan University okay back in the day Okay. So and kind of followed in his footsteps. Following in dad's footsteps as a sculptor. So, because a lot of uh, people that I talk to, women in the South, there's a lot of resistance to, you know, going into a career in art. But, I, you know, it's interesting because I find that most people who did get a lot of support had somebody in their family yeah. that was already an artist. Um, so from a young age, did you know about Michelangelo before you got to college? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I liked playing with Tinker Toys uh, and Lincoln Logs and the Sit and Spin. Mm-hmm. And you know, I love I that know. Sit and Spin. Right? Yeah, that was really Can't fun. Can't do it anymore. Yeah, no. But, uh, those things were were like my th- those were my people. Mm-hmm. 
So you ended up going back to high school in Michigan, mm-hmm. and then you just went to Michigan State. How far away was that for you? It was not that far. It was just far enough away to not be at home, so it's like an hour and a half. Okay. So you did that. It seems like not a very big leap to go to Michigan State to study sculpture for you. No, and strangely, I had big ambitions of going far away to some other school, but... I couldn't really afford it and I had friends at Michigan State and liked the school the campus is beautiful and and so I went there and and it was a it was a good time what kind of sculpture did you study so you said you didn't have any fiber background but you've done like and you you've taught collage fibers ceramics I know yeah I mean it's 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 in there I I just don't have I don't know maybe it's like me feeling like I'm don't know anything because mm. <laughs> I it's like the more you know the less you know yeah but I have permanent imposter syndrome yeah I think so so what your question was what did I um what exactly do? was the sculpture program like there? like what kind of what was your takeaway from that program like what what did you get trained to do there so I I was pretty much a dual uh, major in ceramics and and sculpture and so it was and it was pretty much Right from the beginning, I was interested in uh, installation and performance-based work. Um, there was always, whether I was inviting participants to, to make the work for me some, or, you know, w- with me with a prompt, um, I would even, like, sometimes mail them invitations to, to bring something to class to then, you know... Like snail mail? In. Yeah, snail mail. <laughs> <laughs> and and you know so or I made another piece where I made like I don't know a thousand blocks wooden blocks and made a circular wall all the way around myself and and they I asked all of the rest of the students to build the wall all the way up and not to stop until I was completely covered yeah, I see I'm, this building the wall runs yeah. through your work. It's still, well, and then I go, <laughs> I'm doing something new. And then I go, wait a second. No, well, it's different, but it's, yeah, the themes are there. Yeah, because you're still yeah. working on that kind of stuff. So you, you were already into performance, and then you went to Portland. What happened there? How did you get over there? So my... It was Portland, Oregon. It was Portland, Oregon, okay. yeah. So when I was in college, my mom and a couple of my siblings moved to Portland and then I decided to go out there after I graduated and was out there for a couple of years and I was a scaredy I was scared of welding when I was an undergrad Laura Cloud really I think tried to get me to do it but I decided I was so frustrated with myself after I graduated I was like I am going to learn to weld dug on it and I really enjoyed casting too Mm -hmm. and so when I went out to Portland State I worked with Elizabeth Mead and um, we did welding and we did performance-based stuff and uh, I also learned how to weld and so those were like goals realized. Good for you. I took one sculpture class in undergrad and it was traumatic for me because of the welding. Ah. Like I just couldn't I was so scared I was going to electrocute myself. Yeah. <laughs> I totally get that. Last semester, I 
didn't have many people in my class that really, really wanted to do it. They were it's all scared. Playing with fire, literally. Yeah. 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 But that's the good stuff. <laughs> It's the good stuff. Yeah, totally. So how you were there for a couple of years, and then what made you leave Portland? So then my, really my goal, because uh, when I graduated from undergrad, I really wanted to go to grad school. And I remember sitting down, and, and I was typing on a typewriter mm-hmm. my application and going, <laughs> oh, my gosh, I don't have the portfolio. It's all about the portfolio. And so when I moved to Portland, my goal was to keep making work so that I could apply to grad school. And who did you study with there? Were you in a... a I was with Elizabeth Mead mostly. But is, was that in a State. program of some sort or just like a... Uh, it was within the art department at Portland State. Yeah. But after you had already graduated? Yeah. Yeah. I just started taking classes. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so then you decided you wanted to go to grad school... Mm-hmm and you're getting together this portfolio for that uh, on your typewriter. I think we had finally switched to a computer. (laughs) I didn't have I didn't have my own computer till I was in grad school. Again that dates me. Yeah I didn't have my own computer until after grad school. I think it was like right after I graduated from grad school maybe even after that like 2003 or 4 before I had a computer at my house. So, you know, computer labs were helpful. Yeah. I can remember going to the computer lab to email people in grad school because I didn't have any way to email at (laughs) home, (laughs) which is kind of crazy to think about now. So then um, I I looked at a whole variety of grad schools, and I was so fortunate to be accepted at a good number of the ones that I applied to. Uh, Just so amazing. And when I flew to Pittsburgh to check out the school, I had been living in Portland, and the landscape and the bridges and the rivers, and I was like, this is so similar. And the funky neighborhoods, there was so much there that I just really appreciated. I love Pittsburgh. I came, like, very, very close to moving to Pittsburgh when I left New York because it is a really great arts community. Yes, it's a good place. And you, um, so you went to grad school at Carnegie Mellon? Yeah. There? Yeah. And how was that? So, you know, it was grad school. Yeah. <laughs> there, there, were, there were some really good, good things about it. I loved Pittsburgh. The professors that I worked with were so wonderful. And I found, you know, a lot of support from, from the faculty as far as mentoring me and, and things. I think I always look back and go, I wish I would I could tell myself to just talk to more people. Yeah. And just just do more work. Like I mentioned earlier at the end of of our session today, like it what what's gonna happen when you put a mark down? You know, the the world's not gonna explode. <laughs> and so I wish I had just remember that more sometimes um but but the the it was pretty like it was like transforming in some ways but I also have to say as far as like the context of that when I was out in Portland I worked with a really pretty close-knit it's like a 
doesn't happen very much, very often, but a group of students, we all got together and started doing like these really interdisciplinary performance and installation and sculpture based work. And it was kind of, it was kind of extraordinary. And, and then I, I left and I had gotten so used to for like almost two years working very collaboratively where like we shared the same brain. Right. And then I plunked down into a new city with not really knowing anybody and then was like, oh, what? who am I? What am I doing? Like, I don't have anyone to, to collaborate with. Like, what do I do now? And so that was like a huge, a huge thing. And eventually, luckily, I, I got back to things. But, but that was, that was a hard, that was a hard realization. So that was just, you got your MFA is just in studio arts, it's not in sculpture or anything? Yeah, the way that their program is, once you are accepted, you have basically free roam Mm -hmm. of of any media and, and all of that. So, so you can do whatever you want. And you're actually required I don't know. I think it's still the same now. You're required to take classes outside of the outside of the art area. Oh, okay. So I took a sound design class, for instance, and a poetry workshop and some other stuff as as part of part of my education. So I saw that you um, volunteered at the mattress factory. I have a good friend who lives right by there. Um, don't they have like a they have an emphasis on installation. Yeah, it's a great museum, and I didn't last very long as a as a volunteer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I got stuck in one of the rooms one day. <laughs> what? I shouldn't even tell. So I got you know because you have to monitor the 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 rooms, uh-huh. and I I was in one of the interior rooms with no windows, and I I think. I was in. I was a greenhorn with the volunteering, and I, I, was in there for like three hours straight, and I had no idea, oh, no idea what time it was or, what was going on. <laughs> kind of got lost, but but they're wonderful. Like everybody there. You got lost. You mean like you, like, like you I weren't supposed of, to be in there? <laughs> okay. Well, I wasn't sure. Well, I mean, I wasn't sure what I was supposed like if I was supposed to change. Because we were supposed to rotate so mm-hmm. that you wouldn't... Anyway. You didn't rotate. I didn't rotate. And, <laughs> and, like, that sort of like emotionally scarred me for a little while or something. I don't know. And then you just couldn't handle the mattress factory after that? Because no, of your I, failure to rotate? It, it was it was all me. It wasn't you. I promise. I, I visit the mattress factory every time I go to town. And mm-hmm. I love all of the people there. And so it, it wasn't, uh, it was, it, I don't know. You don't know. I'm just going to keep fumbling. So. Okay. Okay, cool. <laughs> so that's the end of your education, your formal education. As um, he mentioned at the, at the panel, the session, you are like an expert at residencies. <laughs> You've done a crazy amount of residencies. Um, and did that? Did you start doing those like right after your MFA? Actually, the first one I ever did was in Germany with the, some grad students. 
um, we did an exchange in, in Schwäbisch Hall um, in southern Germany. You say that like you can speak German. The tiniest, <laughs> tiniest bit. Okay. Yeah. Names of towns. Sometimes. My, <laughs> my fam, I don't know. Yeah, it's, I try. Okay. But it's, it's almost all gone. It's not, is it genetic? You've got some German there, in you there and are, it just yeah, comes out in your, your have, town pronunciation? I have German cousins. I think I was coached on. Okay. And I'm probably saying it incorrectly anyway, but. That's okay. Nobody is going to ever <laughs> hear this in Germany. We'll just tell them they're not allowed. <laughs> right. Um, so you went to this residency during? During my third year, I think, of. Of grad school, yeah. Okay, so you were still in grad school mm-hmm. and already doing residencies. How did you do that? Did you just, like, skip a semester or something? No, we did it in the summer. Did oh, we? okay. I think we did it in the summer, yeah. Okay. So in between. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you went to Malay and, and Vermont Studio Center. I've yeah. always wondered about the Vermont Studio Center. How was that? Um, so it, I, I was used to all the residencies beforehand were quite small you know like Malay Colony is six or seven people mm-hmm. and I actually uh, again sort of an extraordinary happening the year that I went to the VSC the Vermont Studio Center I had just left the job at William and Mary in in Virginia and didn't quite know which job I was going to next okay and I had two residencies lined up so I went to a residency at the Kimmel Harding Nelson Center in Nebraska yay and then and that was also small there was just a handful of people there and then I went to back across country to to VSC and that was huge so so amazing with like 70 some artists and writers and and people and a studio space and people from all over the world basically and critics visiting and artists visiting and it was that was pretty that was pretty hefty mm-hmm. that was a hefty month yeah yeah <clears throat> so one month you were there yeah yeah um so you mentioned that you were teaching before that so let me get you taught at um in Williamsburg Virginia <laughs> Yeah. That was that was your first teaching job after Carnegie Mellon. No, what I was, was actually I. My boyfriend at the time and I were both from Detroit area, so we moved back to Detroit. And I, it took me a little while, but I got an adjunct and um, studio, like a technician position, and I also was the gallery director. So I held three in hats. Detroit. In Detroit. So wait, when did you go to Detroit? <laughs> that's not in our timeline here. Uh-huh. It's nowhere so, on your CV, is it? It is, actually. Okay. I think I, missed I, that. I put Macomb on there. Okay. But, uh, yeah, so I worked. Oh, it might be down It's not further. in the teaching experience, I don't think. I don't know. I, maybe I need to redo my CV. <laughs> it's probably me. It's probably me. I told you I was cramming for this. Yeah. Uh, no, so I went immediately after grad school. We went back there, and I was there for okay. five years and worked. And doing oh. the, the adjunct slog, I was pretty fortunate, though, because like, I basically I had three jobs at the same, within the art department at Macomb Community College. Okay. Hi, Todd. That's and, where you were um, gallery director yeah, so, and adjuncting. Yeah. I've been there, done that. Yeah, so I did all those <laughs> things. And in a lot of ways... Other than 
being like super super broke all the time right uh, in a lot of ways those things they they were a great fit as far as like I got to do all sorts of different things all the time. Mm-hmm. Like I love putting together and installing exhibitions for, with other people. You know, like you know, I, and organizing stuff in the gallery. And I enjoy you know fixing things and you know making clay and whatever else I was doing. And and then teaching too. So I could kind of switch back and forth between those things. What it didn't help with with though was finding a tenure track position exactly yeah because I was you know only teaching one or two classes at a time and so you know how much I don't know so after that you went to Vermont after uh Virginia yeah okay and then I went to Virginia and did the same exact thing there actually after Detroit you went to Virginia okay so I was hired as the studio tech there and I also was the gallery coordinator and I also was teaching 3D foundations. As an adjunct. Well, it was actually, no, that was packaged under the visiting artist. Okay. Or, I mean, sorry, um, visiting assistant professor okay. position. So, you know, honestly, like, the name change of my title was super helpful. Mm-hmm. As far as, like, trying to advance in a career of becoming an uh, art professor. Right. For life. <laughs> <laughs> it's not an easy path. I just got promoted to assistant professor this year. I've been yeah. teaching like 17 years. I know it. I, I every year it took me 12 years to 12 years or 13 years to get where I am now. Yeah, and it's I, a long. I slog. don't know. Yeah, that here I am. Here but, we are. You know, it's all for the art. <laughs> it's all for the art. Like we got a have a job where you're making the thing that you really want to do, you know, yeah. and talking to other people about that thing all the time. So that's a real gift, you know. That's the way I look at it. Well, and it, I think that that helps. I don't know. I keep wondering like I'm a how did I get how did I get here? Mhm. Like how how in the world did I get to be a teacher? And but I was just making a connection now in my in my head about like how collaborative I've kind of been in my in my work and how teaching fits that really well I just got a tickle in my throat (coughs) yeah totally it's I mean you're it you know you're learning like we were talking about a little bit before you're always learning from your students the same as they're learning from you so okay I'm trying to figure out where we are now like you're (laughs) (laughs) what is our last year that we covered and you, so you, you started doing these, you had the Virginia job, and then when did this Canton, New York teaching position come into play? So that was, oh yeah, that was yet another visiting position I took. Okay. Um, after I was in Virginia, I went to way upstate New York and lived in the middle of Amish and mm-hmm. dairy farm country, mm-hmm. just... 15 minutes south of the border from Ottawa. Mm-hmm. So it was How long were you there? <clears throat> 2 years. Okay. And it was it was a lovely experience that weird little microcosm of of several universities, you know, in in the 
small schools like in this area so there's a lot of professors and then a lot of cows yeah so a lot of professors and a lot of cows that uh brings me back to south carolina um where you (laughs) there's not cows there's not a lot of of cows in south carolina are there excuse me i don't think there's a lot of cows there some cows probably maybe yeah but it is very i mean I don't know. I'm wondering about, so this, I usually talk to women in the South who are either recent. I mean, like you talked about moving to Tennessee and the culture shock when you were 11. How is it now as an adult? Do you still feel that? You know, I think sometimes I do, but, and people that are from South Carolina and people from Virginia, like I, I felt like Virginia was a good taste of how things are, but okay. South Carolina people are like, Virginia's, it's not the same here. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I get that. But, you know, truly, and I think that's one of the, the things that I like about um, doing the Indigo stuff is, and getting out and doing things more in the community. And, and I'm, I'm really still kind of new there. How long have you been um, there? This is the beginning kind of the beginning of my fourth year. Okay. So I haven't been there a tremendously long time. And so I I, I want to, you know, kind of get to know the place. Mm-hmm. And so the indigo dying is part of, part of that. And then, like, how that relates to, like, my work and how just making connections with people, you know. I don't want to be lonely. <laughs> Yeah, totally. So let's talk about this this new work and see if we can get into your work a little bit, even though we don't have anything here in front of us. We'll have to do some descriptive talking. So the pieces that I saw with Indigo, um, I saw on your Instagram page. Are you working on these pieces now that are like, so you said it was like a model for a larger piece, but to me it looked like a pretty big piece already. Yeah, it's Um, all relative, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, like the piece that I saw looked like it was maybe like 10 feet high. Yeah, it's probably an eight, eight. I think it's probably like eight feet tall, and then uh, the there were five or six sections that were about twenty four, twenty eight inches wide. Okay. And so you know, that's fifteen feet. Wide so the at frame least. of this piece is like plywood. It's actually one by twos. One by twos. And they're built in a ladder structure sort of way, and then really simply just leaned up against the wall a ladder structure so there's like like if you put a whole bunch there's of like ladders rocks. right next to each other mm-hmm. so yeah, yeah well. so it kind of makes like a cam like a stretcher bar kind of framework yeah yeah um, exactly and then there was there's rocks at the there, bottom yeah the the only thing at that point holding them up are these big stones these rocks that were in front of the one by twos so it's all kind of like hold still like tenuous sort of situation which I'm playing on conceptually too and then you put large pieces of large rolls of fabric what kind of fabric is this so it was uh it's cotton muslin okay and the there's probably two yard sections and like that's the length of them and they're they're all dyed individually and then I'm getting I'm it's allergy season still here, <laughs> everyone. <coughs> so I'm, I'm dyeing each of the pieces 
individually in, in various sort of watery kinds of um, ways, I guess, and crumpling them up or binding them and things. But I'm looking for like things that reference water or ice. <clears throat> and so each of them are draped on each of the rungs and kind of bunched up. And then so that it becomes kind of like a roof line or a waterfall mm. or <clears throat> an avalanche or you know a glacier melting because I'm you know thinking about being so close to the coast climate change and rising water levels and stuff like that. So you were calling this piece um, flow or flood and you said that it, you know, I mentioned that it was pretty large, but you said it was a prototype for something much larger. So what, what would be your ideal way to display this? So ideally, my goal is to have it be completely surrounding you when you walk into the space. So it'll be 360 degrees all the way around so that you're in the middle of, I don't know, a flood maybe? Okay. Or, you know... I don't know, maybe they're levees, and so it's actually being helped. I'm not sure. Okay. But all the way around, like, immersive. <clears throat> immersive. So, um, and dealing with the indigo dying. And you mentioned on your your indigo that you there's, like, several types of indigo dying. There's the chemical, and then it's the stuff that you're doing. Are you studying with someone for traditional indigo dyeing technique? Yeah, so I worked, I took a couple of workshops with a number of people. Um, Caroline Harper is in um, Columbia, not too far from where I live, and, and she is, has been cultivating uh, indigo and, you know, so processing it all herself and then produce, like doing workshops and, and making work. So you mentioned that too. you were talking about the kind of process of this, like, learning the technique because it was a social, um, you know, local, historic technique. Did that come before the whole f- idea of the flood? I mean, indigo is so beautiful compared to other dyes. When I saw that at yeah. Aramont, it's not like, uh, you know, other other types of dye. When you actually see it in person, it's just really gorgeous. Yeah. Um, so did you do that first and then think, what can I do with this fabric? Or did you have the idea to already, was the flood, I know we mentioned that the um, idea of the wall has been in your work for yeah. a while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the flood, no. Huh? And no, I think it it has been in there too. Like I continue, like, move, that is one of the things about moving down south. Like being in a hurricane is weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's not the same as a tornado. No. And so, and like the anxiety of like, is it going to happen? Is it not going to happen? Is it, I mean, I guess the anxiety of that, but it's so prolonged. Yeah. And, and being in areas that flood so much, both in Virginia and South Carolina, that that really has affected me as far as like, how do we live in this place and, and deal with like both the physical and like emotional stuff of like possibly flooding all the time and having to rebuild and when do we rebuild and how do we how do we help each other out you know as far as like 
Because when, you know, in disaster situations, people come together and take care of each other and stuff. And so, so I think that's like been an undercurrent of, of my work for a long time too. <clears throat> and so, I, go ahead. This, so this piece has, I'm looking at it, and it's got some of the pieces of wood on top of the fabric. So it kind of looks like they're holding the fabric back. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the fabric is kind of bulging out of it mm-hmm. um, with the rocks kind of, it's like almost like a dam. Yeah, yeah. That's keeping the fabric yeah. behind it. So um, I do want to talk uh, really quickly, and I want to let you get to your next panel, <laughs> about this, um, the wall building in your work and the kind of pieces that you've had with the, uh, like, I-, I had to look up gaff tape. I didn't know oh. what that was. <laughs> I was like on your website, I'm like, gaff tape, what is that? Oh, it's duct tape, but then it's not duct tape. Yeah, it's similar, it, but it's it's used in theatrical situations much more because it it is cloth tape. It's easy to tear, but it also doesn't damage the surface that it's on. Mm. So, and actually, I I feel like semantically, or the way that I'm using the language of like wall building, it's actually much more about taking down the walls. Yeah, I think than than putting them up. Because I saw the one piece of yours that was an installation, you had, I guess, rocks built up, and you were wrapping them in pieces of oh, your yeah. clothing. Yeah. And kind of giving the giving the little parts of your wall away to other people. Yeah, there's all sorts of metaphors in there. Mm-hmm. You know, I was literally taking the shirt off of my back and cutting it up into squares and making little sashes and digging out the rocks in the this wall and and cleaning them off and then wrapping them up and then giving them away and the only thing that I would say while I sat there with my hand out with this little rock present in it was thank you even with when other people would engage try to engage I just would sit there and wait until someone took it and then I would continue so very Yoko Ono of you yes (laughs) I mean, I was just yes, talking yes. about cut piece with my students, yeah. and I thought about that when I saw your piece, except for you have what looked like an endless supply of men's shirts behind you <laughs> that was, you're wearing. It was seven. Seven. Was seven days for this, you know, seven days in a week. Did you put all the shirts on at once? I did, and, and then I would take one off and cut it up, and when I had kind of exhausted that shirt, I would go on to the next one, yeah. Is there anything else specifically that you want to tell us before you head off to your next panel? Oh, my gosh. There's a lot. I mean, that's why I said that we've been talking for an hour already. It's hard to even get started in that amount of time. You know, I think I think the, the main thing, and again, going back to the session earlier this morning, is about, like, I I feel like I'm just beginning, you know, and, and I don't really I like I'm pretty comfortable feeling uncomfortable and I don't really want that to go away necessarily like I just it's important to keep on going just keep on going that's I I have to remind myself of that too like learn some new stuff just go do it even if it means looking at a YouTube (laughs) now I'm all like where's my like you know let's go do this sort of cheerleading thing like we can do it 
Yeah, totally. Yes, we can. That's the great thing about being artists. I think it's one of, and professors, it's one of the few careers where you peak. Mm-hmm. Like in your, you know, your 50s, you really can be just getting going yeah. on these kind of things. That's, that's yeah. the, my favorite thing about the whole career. Yeah. I, mean, I think we've lived through the hardest part of it, <laughs> maybe. The, those beginning, you know, the beginning years are really hard. I hope so. <laughs> Although, you know, I keep telling myself to not make such large-scale work. It has difficulties. <laughs> it has difficulties, but, you know, it also has presence. No, and that's the thing that I always go back to, you know, because being in an immersive situation like that is is a different level of participation, I think. I don't know. There's this, this is one way that I sometimes end things, but Anne Hamilton has this great, I have this great quote from Anne Hamilton, and she says something like, um, when we think when we are still versus when we are in motion are different forms of cognition. And we learn and understand things differently between those things. And so I think that's one of the reasons why I encourage um, uh, movement and like physical, like physical making and doing. Like I think that's why I find things so engaging in like the 3D or 4D, you know, like movement realm versus um, making something 2D because um, it, it feels different. And you have a different understanding of yourself and the world. Yeah, totally. So. Well, we're going to be thinking in motion all day today and for the next couple <laughs> of days at CCAC. Thanks so much for taking time, Naomi, out of your busy schedule to talk to us today. Well, thanks very much. Thanks, thanks again to Naomi Falk for making time to talk to me at the jam-packed CCAC conference. You can see Naomi Falk's work in person at the 701 Center for Contemporary Arts South Carolina Biennial from November 13th to December 22nd. That's in Columbia, South Carolina, where she also has a show in April of 2020 called Interstitial Interruptions at USC Upstate. If you happen to be in Portland, Oregon, you can catch her giving an artist talk at Portland State University on November 27th. You can find links to these upcoming shows and talks, as well as images of Naomi's work, and links to her website and other web resources related to our chat on the Peachy Keen page of my website at vivianliddell.com. That's V-I-V-I-A-N-L-I-D-D-E-L-L. Thanks so much for listening to Peachy Keen. Our listenership has grown substantially, and I really appreciate all of your support. Some folks have reached out to me as individuals to tell me what the podcast has meant to them, and I love hearing that it is having an impact in your lives and work. There's so many great women artists around the Southeast, and as you can tell by listening, I love getting to know them and their work and being able to share it with you all as well. I always welcome getting individual feedback. But it also really helps to support the podcast if you could leave a quick review on iTunes. You can put in any name you like, so it's pretty anonymous and only takes a minute. But it really does help people find the podcast because podcasts are ranked by reviews. If you'd rather support the podcast financially, that's always welcome too. And you can do that by visiting patreon.com and searching for Peachy Keen. There's also a Patreon link on the podcast website. Look for part two of our CCAC conference episodes to be out very soon. That will be episode 30 with Colleen Merrill. Until then, 
I hope you're enjoying the colder temps and brief mosquito-free season if you're down south and that your days are peachy keen.